Welcome to Sweet Bitter, where we explore the untold history of women and queer pirates. We're your hosts, Ellie Brigida and Lisa Shallot. This episode, we're moving on to women pirates. Uh, be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode for our shanty for this one. Should be good. I'm so excited and very, very excited to welcome Elise to play fact and fiction with us today. Hi, Elise. Hi, y'all. How's it going? Good. I'm so excited to hear what you have ready for us and for me to maybe get it right or wrong. We'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so what do we got? What do we got? Okay. Fact or fiction. Did pirates actually make people walk the plank? Ooh. Okay. That is a tricky one. I feel like I'm going to say no. They did have some cruel punishments, but I don't think it would be very like aerodynamic maybe is the wrong word but i don't think they built planks on their ships <laughs> i don't think they actually had planks like i don't think they built a plank for people to get off of <laughs> i don't think it was a plank of wood on a yeah i don't know if they like really wanted to like, do the carpentry for that i feel like if they were gonna put someone into the sea they'd just say just jump off we don't need a plank for you i'm really here <laughs> that's hilarious it's very technical answer it's not yeah, that. Now I'm thinking about the carpentry of a ship. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. It just seems a little excessive. Like, why do you need to build more stuff on your ship? They could just jump, or you could push them. That's my answer. What about you, Lisa? Okay. So your answer is no. So you think they made them jump off the ship? Yeah, not that's my answer. Okay. Okay. I I think it's fiction too. Not for any carpentry reasons. I just don't think it's true. It just seems like a really like. I mean, I know pirates are plan for it, but it seems like a lot. Anyway, at least. Are we both wrong? Hell <laughs> You know, you're both right. Ah, congratulations. Yes, that are we weird. My love. I feel like that's always a prize. It's a great prize, though. Yeah. My dad used to say that to us when, I was, when we were kids. We'd be like, what's the prize? And he'd be like, a kiss. <laughs> you're like, that's it? Hey. Never played a game or something? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So there's like a, a few like one-off instances of people talking about walking the plank, but not enough to make it, you know, seem like it was really real. It could have been like embellished history. And so it more comes from pop culture, like Robert Louis Stevenson and Daniel Defoe in his general history of the pirates did tell that story about the, the Mediterranean pirates, like putting a ladder down into the waters and letting the Roman walk Saying he was free to go. Uh, I remember. This so that's the thought, yes. of, like that evolved into this thought about walking the plank, but it really wasn't a con practice because they wouldn't have bothered with the plank. I mean, some of them who were like super sadistic might have, but mostly they were just like toss you overboard. And then they had some like really creative and awful other means of torturing people. Like what? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as late as 2019, the U.S. Navy was allowing officers to punish their sailors by limiting their meals to bread and water. And that goes all the way back to the 1800s, 1700s. And so the, the people at sea, like navies and pirates, have always just really been into torture. And that means like starving people, selling them into slavery beating them with all kinds of different, you know, canes and cat of nine tails, making them go sit in the cold wind at the top of the mast. And one of the worst ones is called keel hauling. And this was really common for sailors to get between the mid-1600s and the mid-1800s. What they would do is 
tie someone to a rope and throw them over the side of the ship and then drag them down along the length of the ship or from one side of the ship to the other. And all the stuff that's like growing on the ship, like the barnacles, would just scratch you up. Maybe a shark would come at you. Maybe you would drown. So it was a form of torture and execution. I've also seen some pretty gnarly pictures of people tied between two ships. So like their hands are tied to one ship, their feet are tied to the other ship, and then the ship is in two different directions. And that's how they're executed. That yeah. is really rough. rough. That is painful. I feel that. See, that doesn't feel like it's very logistically easy. Ellie. Right. I, that's why I said like, I do think I'm not torturing people, but I just don't think it was with the plank. Yeah, they did even more extensive. Very creative. Logistically. I, yeah. So, I don't know. There's a little bit about walking the plank where you can read about some of the oh, historical instances, but it really became much more of a, a pop culture thing with, you know, people drawing pictures of this or writing about it. Treasure Island or Peter Pan especially has all kinds of stuff about walking the planet. That's why you need to be able to fly. Yes, exactly. Because it became, it becomes like a diving board that launches you into the sky, which is really cool if you can fly. Thank you. We love you, Elise. We will be back after a quick break. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> we're back. So as we said at the top of the episode, this week we're going to be giving a general overview of with pirates. How common were they? We don't see them much in the movies. <laughs> and yet, here's historian <laughs> and pirate expert Rebecca Simon to tell us more. It was common for pirates to ban women. on. Actually, this was a common practice in the maritime world. Does this mean there were no female sailors or female pirates? No. Two of the most famous pirates to sail were the female pirates Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. You have a woman named Hannah Snell who was in the Navy, you know, a few decades after the 1750s. You have Grace O'Malley, the the Irish pirate queen. You know, there were other female pirates. Saeed Alhura from Morocco. So they did exist. But Ed Lowe had a document of what's called the Pirate Articles, which were rules on the pirate ship. We might know them as like the pirate codes. And one of them is you can't bring like someone of the opposite sex on board or you can't bring like young people on board. And there were a few reasons for this. There is kind of the superstition that women were bad luck on ships. I don't think this was actually a major thing. I think we build it up a little bit. But in maritime lore, female figures such as mermaids and sirens were these mythological creatures that would lure pirates into the sea by bewitching them and then would drown them. So at the same time, it's quite interesting because the ships are always given female pronouns. I'm not quite sure why. But so there is kind of this. But the reality is, I think the reason why a lot of women would have been barred from sailing would be because of probable sexual complications. There could be the possibility of sexual violence happening. It could be that women were taken um, against their will. It could be that, you know, you could get an unplanned pregnancy, perhaps. And then the fact that a lot of women might not have physically been able to handle the labor, the physical labor that might be required. Is that true for all? Absolutely not. Were there women on ships? Yes, there were. There were captains who'd bring their wives. There would be people who might bring on women to act as kind of nurses or maybe help do repairs or healing, that sort of thing. So there were women on ships, but they just weren't recorded much, probably because they just didn't think to record the role women would have. There's very likely that women would disguise themselves. It is documented and known that there were women who disguised themselves to fight in the armies and the same on ships. And so, you know, they dress as men, 
They would act as men, do the physical labor. It wasn't too difficult for women to disguise themselves as younger sailors, like maybe as cabin boys, be shorter and smaller in stature than men. You know, clean shaven shows they haven't fully gone through puberty yet. Baggy clothes, binding your breasts. If you're doing really heavy labor, a lot of times you might stop getting your periods. Or if you do, there's ways to kind of disguise that or excuse it. You know, you get lots of injuries on ships. Like you can explain that away. So, yeah. Been studies about transvesticism on ships and in the army and what it was like during that time period. You know, the idea of a woman kind of dressing as a man kind of you know, it freaked men out. It, it's kind of funny. It freaked them out because they were like, who are these women trying to steal our masculinity? But at the same time, they just weren't taken seriously. It was like, oh, well, they're women, so it doesn't matter. You know, what they do doesn't matter. Let them do what they want. And if they, if men perhaps caught their wives some sort of, you know, romantic relationship with another woman, they would let it go because, you know, she wasn't cuckolding him with another man. Yay, panic. Yay. Such a new oh, thing, right? So new. So new. So new. I love this, though. I'm so excited to hear more about all of these famous women pirates. Okay, so we know from season one, there's a lot of erasure when we're talking about history. Get it? His story. How has this skewed our understanding of pirates? We spoke about this with Laura Dunker, who is a lawyer and an expert in women pirates, and she will be our source for the rest of the episode. I always tell people... The number one myth about pirates, I think, is that pirates buried their treasure. You know, pirates didn't bury their treasure. They spent it sometimes before they had it. So they didn't have time to sort of think of a retirement plan. So I always say that the real treasure hunt, the real buried treasure, is tracking down the stories of these pirates, and particularly of women pirates, because they have been sort of you know, unconsciously and also systematically excluded from the limelight. So we get their information from a lot of different ways. Some of them, like the medieval ones, because they were less of an exclusive outlaw, they had noble families, they had money at some point. So they, we have them in records and royal records for a period of time until things, you know, go sideways. But yeah, a lot of it's oral tradition. A lot of it is um, ballads and legends. We A lot of the things we knew about Grace O'Malley before Ian Chambers' sort of seminal biography was passed down in song. So these stories are not written down in the hallowed halls of history books because women had been kept out of history books for so long because history books weren't written by women. You know, they're not written by people of color. They're not written by any sort of marginalized identity. For the most part, for a very, very long time, they were written by, you know, white cis men. So we don't have no sort of lie detector, Maury Povich factor fiction. Like, is the story 100% true about the robot? A lot of these things we don't know. We have a little more confidence in some of the golden age pirates because we have trial transcripts from their trials. So we have like slightly more, you know, verifiable sources. But I think that what we say when we talk about pirates is almost as important as, you know, what is actually said, but just the, the why, why these stories persist and what themes keep cropping up over and over and like what that says about our sort of eternal love affair with the pirates and why their stories are just so popular and keep coming up over and over again. I think that because pirate records are so limited that we can project onto them anything we want them to be. You know, I mean, you have to look no further than the shelves of romance novels to see that, you know, we can make pirates into these romantic swoon-worthy lovers when the reality was, you know, when you look at Blackbeard, pirates on the whole were generally not particularly courteous to women. 
So, and no knocking pirate romance novels. I want to be completely clear about that. Whatever floats your romance boat is A-OK in my book. But I I think that we, we like to ignore the bad and sort of emphasize the good. And so there is sort of this idea of like, oh yeah, pirates, like Robin Hood, they're the good guys. And whoever you think the good guys are, you can sort of tie the pirates to that. But I think really their ideals were just for the most part, I think something that unites all pirates is a desire for survival, just a desire to keep living and have enough money to support yourself and live your life that they were not often afforded the luxury of political ideals. You know, there was some movement of the Pirates of the Brethren Coast and the Pirate Round area down in the Caribbean in the early, late 1600s, early 1700s, where they're like, let's make a government, let's make a thing, you know. But for the most part, they were are just trying to make a living, you know? So, I mean, they, they are, they are working class heroes, but I don't know that they would have, you know, any of those ideals to themselves. If you ask them, I think they would say, I'm just trying to, you know, live my life. It's almost like they're human beings that contain multitudes and you know, we're good and bad and, you know, heroes and villains and all of those things that we are in a given day. I've said this many times this season, but I am so here for this, like nothing is black and white. There's all kinds of gray area. I also talked to Laura and I'm so excited for all of you to hear all the things she had to say because she is an encyclopedia of women. I'm so excited. It is wild. I'm jealous that I missed that interview and I'm so excited to listen to it this episode. Yes. And she talked to me about Alfhild, who's a Viking pirate from the 5th century. She's going to tell you all more about her as well. So Alfhild was a Viking and, you know, there is a big question, are Vikings pirates? Do we call Vikings pirates? But, you know, using the definition of people who steal stuff on the water, that yes, she was absolutely a pirate. And I believe that the the model of sailing that she lived definitely influences pirates further down the road. You know, when people think of pirates, they largely think of pirates from like 1650 to 1720. Like there's this little tiny snapshot in the the history of recorded time that when we think pirate, that's what we think of. We think of Long John Silver and Treasure Island and Captain Hook. But really, you know, those pirates didn't just spring out of nothing. They came from a long, long line of pirates. And I think Vikings are definitely at the beginning of, of that line, although after the Greek pirates. So Alfhild was a princess, so the story goes. And we have her story from Saxo Grammaticus. And uh, she was a princess who was supposed to marry and decided that instead she would escape and become a pirate. We don't know exactly why. There's a couple different versions of her story. And in one, like her mother kind of yells at her and says, you know, what are you doing throwing yourself at the first, you know, pair of pants that comes your way? And she likes the guy, but then she's embarrassed. And other one, she doesn't like the guy and she just wants out. So she and some of her girlfriends sort of like slip down, you know, a rope ladder made of bed sheets um, <laughs> out of her castle and become pirates. We don't know how they learned to sail. Maybe she hired someone. You know, we, we just don't know. There's a lot of questions here, more questions than answers, of course, particularly when you're going back that far in time. But she and her crew of ladies sailed on and were successful for some time until her wayward bridegroom finds her. And you know, he's battling with these fierce pirates. And then, you know, her helmet gets knocked off. And oh, my goodness, it's Alfield, my love, the one who I've been looking for. And he, you know, tells her, like, go, go put on your girl clothes and let's go home and get married. And that's, that is what happens. And so I find the story sort of unbearably sad. This, you know, woman who had the dream to 
just live her own life. And then, you know, we think of like, oh, it's happily ever after she gets married. But, you know, that's not that's not what she wanted at all. They sort of imagining her, you know, looking out the window of, of to the sea as they get closer and closer to shore and just thinking of everything that she's giving up. And, you know, most most pirate stories don't have happy endings. But Elfield, even though she lives, I think is less happy than many of the others who I discuss in my books. Some of the interesting things that I learned about Vikings were that Viking women recorded their history in tapestries. And so we have many of these tapestries from the time period that these Viking sagas were being recorded, of course, being told by the men. And you can tell what stories they are, but they emphasize different points in the stories. So it's like, the you know, he said, she said, when you hear the story versus look at the tapestry. And for a long, long, long time, those tapestries were regarded as art and pretty things and not historical documents. And it just makes me think of like all the other ways in which women have been telling their stories through the millennia and we have sort of ignored it or pushed it to the side or not valued it the same way as we do a, a you know, written account by a man. And what other wonderful things we could discover if we just you know, opened our eyes and sort of expanded our idea of what is history. What a wild ride. At the beginning of that, I was like, yes, queen, yes. Like, go up and live your best gay life. And then what a sad ending. I know it's so sad. I really want them to make Allfield into like the first queer Disney princess besides, you know, you know Elsa's queer. But I feel like Allfield would be a great Disney princess movie. I just like, where is this movie? I, like, I, why I, has nobody made this movie? What an amazing story. I'm devastated. I mean, we should make it. <laughs> it's all it's the time. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. It's such a great story. Depressing. But I would like wish fulfill the ending oh yes that's gonna say no we don't need more sad gay stories for sure (laughs) we would just like take some liberties (laughs) but allfield is not the only queer woman pirate we have so many to talk about so the next pirate that laura is going to tell us about is jean de clisson an amazing medieval revenge pirate from the 14th century jean de clisson was a sort of a sideways entry into pirate piracy but a mighty pirate all the same her husband was involved in the uh, the war of Breton succession, trying to figure out who belonged on the, the ducal throne of Brittany. And he was implicated in a treasonous plot, falsely accused by all accounts, and murdered by Charles de Blois. So Jean decided that she was going to avenge her husband, avenge her family's honor, and just kind of go on a killing spree to uh, let people know that the Clisson name was not to be dragged through the mud. So her husband's head was put on a spike outside of the palace, which is usually reserved for common criminals. So it was a very shocking thing. So the first thing Jean does when she hears that her husband is dead is she takes her children to go see their father's head on on a spike. (laughs) And then she sells her jewelry, everything she has, all of their money and assets have been frozen by the government because they're on, you know, the alleged wrong side of the government. So she sells her jewelry, her linens, her drapes, you know, some accounts say her body, everything she's got to sell, she sells to gather, to scrape together as much money as she can to buy a ship. She gets this ship, she paints it black, the sails are black, and she sails up and down uh, the coast of France and the the channel. And she is just slaughtering everyone who opposes her except for one person. She leaves one person alive to tell the story that, you know, Jean de Clisson is coming for you. And she is just a tremendous sailor and pirate. I don't know how she learned how to sail. Maybe she hired some folks to teach her. Maybe she had a crew, but she was undoubtedly in command and she was just 
kicking butt and taking names. And everyone was terrified of her. There's a little disagreement on on that. Some say that her children were left some um, courtiers sympathetic to her father's or to her husband's, her late husband's campaign and cause. But there's a story about she had them in a rowboat and she was sailing. She was trying to escape a naval battle where her ship had been taken down and she sailed directly to England in a rowboat with her children to keep them alive after the storm. So, you know, you just see her. I I can imagine, you know, I go on car trips with my kids and, you know, are we there yet? Is there any snacks? And, you know, they didn't even have iPads. So she at least was incredibly strong in more than one respect because she took her young children in a rowboat to England to uh, appeal directly to the to the English king for money and ships and means to destroy. Is it terrible if I'm just like having life envy right now? I mean, I know it probably wasn't all glamorous and maybe I shouldn't commit my life to revenge on the high seas, but it seems pretty cool. (laughs) It does. It does. And I mean, it is just very cool to hear about. Like, this is a pirate queen. Yeah, like... Like the second mate pirate, right? Like Saida was running things. Yes. So good. Okay, so speaking of Australian pirates, as I am now claiming as you could be, I believe that Laura also has an Australian pirate to tell us about who shares one name with me, Charlotte Badger. So Charlotte Badger was a young woman who was a uh, convict who was transported from England to Australia. Many prisoners were sent from England to Australia, which is a fascinating story all involving, you know, Charles Dickens, uh, prison conditions and people thinking, well, we have all these criminals, but we don't really want to think about them or look at them or rehabilitate them. So let's just send them out of sight, out of mind, all the way to Australia. Her offense was pretty petty. It seems like it was a theft of not that much. But she, along with Catherine Haggerty, were transported to Australia from England. This uh, this was a gruesome trip. Many people did not survive it. And, you know, a bunch of female prisoners on a ship were not treated super well by their male sailor captors. Once they got there, they were at the Parramatta Female Factory, which was a workhouse slash, like, matchmaking service. They estimate that it's a significant portion. It's either like 1 in 10 or 1 in 20 um, people living in Australia are descended from women who lived at the Paramount Female Factory because you could go and pick up a, a bride if you were a man in Australia and you needed someone. And the warden sort of was like, any of these ladies work for you? And they it, it did a, said you could leave the Paramount Female Factory if you died or if you got married or if you got a job um, somewhere else. And so that's what happened to Charlotte and Catherine. And they got a job in Tasmania. And so they were going to go back on a ship called the Venus and set off to a new job where they had been sort of like bought and paid for. So there's not a ton of people on this ship. There's a captain, there's a first mate, there's a couple crew, and then there's Charlotte and Catherine and Charlotte's daughter. She's given birth to a daughter at the during her time at the female factory, father unknown. We think it's possible that it was one of her employers because to get a job, this 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 is a cushy job that they're being sent off to so that maybe she got some preferential treatment due to burying a child to one of her employers. So they're on the Venus and accounts of exactly what went on are very divergent. We have, you know, some say that they fell in love with the men on the Venus and convinced them to, you know, make a break for it. And some say that they 
had a mutiny, but whatever happened, the captain was left, or docked at shore, and the captain went off the ship to go do some business, and Catherine and Charlotte and the baby were, like, on the boat, and whatever ended up happening, the end of the day, captain comes back to the boat, not there, boat is gone, so they have taken control of the ship and sailed off uh, into the sunset, and they end up in New Zealand, and Charlotte Badger is often touted as the first female, you know, white settler of New Zealand. And the men bug out and leave them there. And we just don't know what happens after that. Exactly. There are some stories that they were they were killed by Maoris. There are some stories that they were sort of adopted into the Maori tribe. And, you know, we have one sailing ship as like sort of a bizarre postscript later, like an, an English ship who tells of they met this big fat English woman who spoke English and the native language and she had a little girl with her and, you know, she was a part of the natives, but she was also clearly English. And, and when you sort of connect all the dots and reverse engineer it, like it very well could have been Charlotte Badger. So, but wherever she died and whatever ended up happening to her, she died a free woman. And as far as I know, she's the only pirate who the treasure that she stole was actually herself. So... <laughs> It's a neat story, and it's just really, it's an amazing sort of part of, of history. You know, I, I think I think every part of history is an amazing part of history. I'm just always fascinated by the stories of the normal, you know, people who lived and died and worked and, you know, sweated and loved and feared as, you know, not just the big, broad brushes of this battle and this person was ruling, but just like, you know, what was going on? What was it like for people? And I think she, they have remarkable stories. That is really interesting and also like historically Australia was so predominantly male for like so much of its colonial history like I think we only got to a kind of even point pretty recently <laughs> like for a long time Australia was like 90 <laughs> percent and like so I love this I mean obviously colonialism is bad but it does make sense that she might be like the first white female settler in, in New Zealand and they just sent them over. <laughs> I know. I also love, like, the agency that Charlotte has here. Yes. Like, there's a thread between a lot of the pirates that Laura was talking about of, like, they stand out to us because they were women with agency, yes. which we do not see very often in history, or we don't see them written about. No, and this is what CJ, I think, touched on in episode two when he was talking about queer people and black people and uh, women, he was talking about the fact that oftentimes a life of crime was like the best life they could live that was more true to themselves and that was more free from like the shackles of what society was doing at the time, which is like a wild thought to be like, and actually he made the argument in episode two, which I think is super interesting that it's still kind of like the way to go to live a more true life is to like be a criminal which i thought was like a really interesting through line be gay do crimes yes exactly <laughs> you sound that up way better than my right <laughs> but it is true i am so fascinated by charlotte and Catherine, though stealing the ship so i asked laura what was charlotte and Catherine's relationship and what happened to them after they sort of just disappeared they were just friends as far as i know they no one describes them as lovers like they do with Anne and mary and i which i don't even think is true but nothing against it anyway just i just think people are like oh it's two women i bet they were lesbians it's like 
was <laughs> the only thing we could think of. But uh, yeah, they they just became friends. They they didn't know each other when they were in England, as far as I know. They became friends on the journey, and then they kind of stuck together. But uh, Catherine dies like fairly early on after arriving. We know that she died like pretty quickly, and that Charlotte was like left on her own with her young daughter. All sources seem to agree that in about a year, Charlotte and daughter were alone in the island. But Catherine died in early 1807, by which time the men seem to have either left the island or been arrested for their part in mutiny. This is a very different life than we expect for pirates because most pirates don't get to retire. They don't get to like live a life on an island with their daughter. It's unfortunate that Catherine died early. And also the men left the island as well. Right. So there were men on the boat. They were like transporting them and they took them with them to the island. Yeah. And then they were like, eh, we don't want to be here. Bye. Or or they were like, I'm recording this. I'm saying that Charlotte and her daughter were just like, can you leave? (laughs) I don't want to live free from patriarchy. Just go. Yeah. At some point they left the island. We don't know how that happened. It could have been they were asked to leave. We don't really know. Um, But I just... (laughs) Like I said before, there's so many fascinating women pirates that we don't get to hear about. Laura had so much incredible information to give us about these women pirates. And she also has two books that talk way more about women pirates. If you want to read those, they are Pirate Women, The Princesses, Prostitutes, and Privateers Who Ruled the Seven Seas, and A Pirate's Life for She, Swashbuckling Women Through the Ages by Laura Duncombe. So check those out because they are incredible reads. And there's so many more women pirates. We can't talk about them all here. But those books are worth just knowing about all of these pirates. Love a good alliteration too. Got to respect. I know. I love Princesses, prostitutes, and privateers. Pirates, princesses, prostitutes, privateers. Love it. So here for the (laughs) books and also all the content that are in them. If you want to keep listening to our show and hear more about the untold history of these pirates, here's a taste of what's to come on Sweet Bitter. The classics and classical studies, that's one of the challenges we're, we're up against is that the, the stories are almost always told by the victors and it's job of the social historian to try to dig through material culture, dig, dig through language, anthropology to try to get something a little closer to the truth. So we have, you know, Tuta of Illyria, we have Queen Artemisia, and both of those women were, you know, high-ranking officials in their country who led ships and expeditions out to fight other other navies. So they were very, very cool women and uh, sort of set the bar for what female piracy looks like. Thanks for listening to Sweet Bitter. Our fifth episode will be released on October 28th. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us. It really helps, especially written reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash sweetbitter. Thank you to our new Patreon supporter this week, Teresa. And thank you to our new subscriber on Apple Podcasts. Unfortunately, Apple don't share your name with us, but we appreciate your support anyway. And if you want to reach out, tell us who you are. We would love to shout you out on the podcast. Sweet Bitter is an independent production by me, Ellie Brigida, Elise Knorr, and Lisa Charlotte in partnership with Three Springs Media. Our audio engineering is by Jaron Jackson. Our production assistant is Thea Smith. And our artwork is by Estella Illustrated. Thank you to our guests this week, Rebecca Simon and Laura Duncombe. You can read more about our guests and where to find them on our website. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sweet Bitter Pod or contact us on our website, sweetbitterpodcast.com.
Now, without further ado, we have our sea shanty for this week. We are Women Pirates, written by Elise and mixed by Joshua. You're going to love it. Revenge. 